welcome to the Talking Horses podcast, hosted by Steve Halfpenny. Steve is an internationally recognised horsemanship educator, Melbourne Equitana presenter and lifelong student of good horsemanship. His passion for learning about horses and helping them become willing partners to their owners is only exceeded by a willingness to share what he has learned with horse owners everywhere. Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of Talking Horses. Today got a guest is John St. Ryan. I met John a couple of years ago in Australia when he came out to do a clinic and really like what I heard from him. So hi, John, how are you today? Today, I'm doing grand. Thanks, Steve. So, so I'm just trying to think what people would like to hear. You know, for me, you're, uh, the things you learned when you were with Tom Dorrance are really big for me, but I was thinking for everybody, you grew up in the north of England and basically wasn't heading towards horses at that time in your life no not at all because uh well at the age of four or five i i went to a circus with my parents and uh they had a bunch of animals going through elephants etc etc and then a bunch of horses and i love the horses and i wanted to get closer and closer to them so i was sitting right on the edge and i was i just my dad said it was, it was amazing you know I, I was just enthralled by them but then they we went home that night and then a whole face swelled up, my eyes swelled up. It, my mother thought I'd taken a small role in the new Dracula film because they were all bloodshot. They <laughs> uh, took me to the doctors and they said, ah, yeah, we know what this is. Where do you mean circus? Yeah, horses, ah, you're allergic to horses, son, so don't join the cavalry. So that was my introduction at four years old. So I was battling this for years. Uh, and I never really got clear of it until my teens. And um, I got, anytime I touched a horse, I got near it, you know, it all went flared up again. And then, you know, my eyes would swell and, well, not the eyes, but the, you know, the tissue around the eyes, not the eyes. And um, lift, uh, slowly but surely, it managed to fade away. I think it was just by sheer grit and determination. And for the longest time in my late teens, as long as I, if I was touching a horse or around a horse, as long as I didn't touch myself, skin or face, I wasn't too bad. And then gradually it just faded away over the years. And, uh, doesn't yeah. very very rarely does it it come back, you know. And, and even then, it's not when I say it comes back. It's just because I did something silly, like as always, I'm always scratching horses. And then if I go and you know just try and do that with my eye, it's not a good idea. <laughs> Spend the rest of the day like Long John Silver, you know. Well, that's really interesting. So. I didn't realize you were interested in from such an early age. An early age. That's really. Yeah. Yeah. It just, uh, like I said, it was, um, I think you mentioned before what got me into horses and it was girls, you know, yeah, sort of <laughs> at the age of seven, I think I fell in love with this girl and, uh, well, you know, you fall in love with anything. I fell in love with my teacher at one point, you know, but, <laughs> uh, anyway, she, it's in the book, you know, I mentioned that she, she was a little bit upper class and I was working class and I kind of followed her around all the time she took me back to her place to show me her horse and uh, it's all in the book anyway but anyway yeah. the horse was on my side on that one <laughs> and uh, that was the change that was the thing that did it for me I thought oh these are nice creatures I like them so then you you got into martial arts and then the movie business huh 
No? Yeah, we got into, you know, a sort of potted version of everything. I got into martial arts at about 13, 14, maybe. Uh, and again, you know, you know, you're a big lad. Everybody wants to pick on you and prove that, you know, they're stronger and can beat you up or, you know, you have a, if you say over there, getting a bit of a blue and prove who's best. And so you've constantly, you know, trying to get away from this. I, I didn't particularly like scrapping at the time. And uh, so I thought, well, I'll go and I'll learn martial arts. So I, I went to a martial arts karate class and then went to it. Oh, I went to a Kung Fu class first, then karate. And it was very good because it gave me a lot of good discipline, uh, which was much needed. And uh, according to the teachers, it was much needed anyway. <laughs> um, and they, um, it, it really did put me on the right path. And then from there, I started teaching a little bit. I was an assistant instructor for a long time and then I got my own little club going and then just kept studying and studying and achieved different levels, first down, second down, third down, and then uh, decided I wanted to do Muay Thai, Thai boxing. And so I took my light belt off and threw it away and told all my students that I'm, you know, changing over to this particular martial art because I think this is the way to go. And uh, that in between all this, I'm riding horses for pleasure, for fun, you know, just how fast you can go and how high you can jump over a fence or a gate and stay on, you know, that kind of stuff. Not, not educated at all. Um, mm -hmm. Then I got into the stunt world because of the martial arts. They wanted me to do some fight choreography for a movie. It was a specialist movie and they wanted me to put something different in. This is going back a long time. We're talking like late 80s. So uh, there wasn't the big craze of it now, you know, where every fight scene has some martial arts and it was pretty unique then. And Muay Thai was very unique for, certainly for the UK. So this this particular film that they asked me to do, I, I worked on that and that led me to some more stunt work and then got me deeper into the acting side of things. And um, all this was sort of going on for many years, right through till uh, 92. And I'd just been doing movies in England and in abroad Spain Israel, but it, they were for some American companies. There was a, a company called Canon. This is going a long time back, but they were a big, like independent uh, movie company. So I worked for them in Israel for several pictures, and they offered me a deal, and they said, "We'll give you a three picture deal if you want to come to America." So I kind of haggled with them. I said, "Well, if you take all the family, you know, and pay for the whole move and everything, and get me relocated, we'll go for it." So. Uh, we did that in 92, and I was in here. We'd got a house. We'd sold a house in England, come back to uh, come to the United States, was working for this particular Canon Pictures, and I got a, a new movie I was going to start with Chuck Norris, if you remember that fella. Oh, yes, I do. And then uh, they, I walked in the office one day, said, we need to talk, John. I said, what? I said, well, we, unfortunately, we, we filed Chapter 13. I said, what the hell is chapter 13? He says, we're bankrupt. I said, oh, well, where does that leave me? He said, well, without a job, first of all, because I went over on this three-picture deal with them with a visa, and, of course, now the visa doesn't cover me working anybody else. It just covers me working for Canon Movies. So then it was a mad scramble to try and get something sorted uh, in regards to... Uh, 
work and also what to do, you know, whether I could get work and whether I could get a visa. Um, still just mucking about with horses for fun, just riding a little bit here and there. Nothing uh, what I would call professional. And um, that was when they called me, it was in 92, and they called me to from Coronation Street, which is in uh, Granada Television, did this series called Coronation Street. And it's a it's quite a big show in the UK. And uh, they asked me, they phoned me up at two o'clock in the morning. And it was the casting director said, uh, it's uh, James Bain here from Granada Television. And I'm saying, it's two o'clock in the morning. What the hell do you want? This is, we want to offer you a um, major role in the series, but you'd have to work over here and come back here. And of course, he doesn't know that I'm out of work in final chapter 13. So <laughs> I, I sort of ummed and odd for at least five minutes. And then I said, yeah, okay, put me on a plane and we'll we'll see how it goes. So anyway, that's that's a very uh, shortened version of everything. And um, I did that, which worked out good. I was there for a year, just short of a year. And in that time, I managed to get a load of information and a load of testimonials and things to back me up to get a visa to work in the United States. So I eventually got that, came to the U back to the U.S., finished the job with uh, Coronation Street, came back to the U.S., and uh, started doing a little bit of TV and film work. And, and while I was doing it, uh, the, the CPA, that's a chartered accountant, you know, for taxes, she... She called me and she says, listen, I know how much you love horses. You should go and see this guy. He's called Ray Hunt. And um, he's he's at um, Bill's place in um, Hidden Valley. That was it, yeah. And uh, so I said, right, okay, yeah, sure. It sounds interesting. So uh, I was no idea what to expect at all. And uh, I showed up um, at this ranch first thing early morning about 7 30 wasn't due to start till nine and uh saw this old cowboy i'm saying old cowboy it's like yeah right i was a young lad then maybe but and they, i didn't know who he was i'd just heard you know that should go and see him and i just thought well he's who is he? he's talking and everybody's listening so he must be maybe this is the guy who's running the show you know so i walked over there and started listening and I, what i heard was was something really extraordinary insofar as the way he talked about the horse was really for the horse. And n nobody had ever spoken about horses like that. It was always what they could do for you and what you, know, what you could do with them. And, uh, but he was talking about the mind of the horse, the feel of the horse, what the horse felt back to you. And it was like, this is very esoteric. Who is he? You know, this, and he just looks like a cowboy, you know. It just, uh, where's he got all this wisdom from, you know? So I, I really got locked in and watched the first hour or so and was just mesmerized by his abilities. He was doing a, the first part you know, in the morning, the three hours in the morning, nine till 12, was all cult starting. And he would bring, you know, just a horse in, work with it from horseback, move it around. And, um, but the thing was, you know, it's nowadays it's some people have taken some of that, what Ray used to do, and 
think they're doing what Ray used to do, but it isn't what Ray used to do. They're just chasing the horse around with a flag and stuff like that. He was much more subtle and much more aware and uh, much more in tune with each horse. And I could see some of this then, even though I was very um, amateurish in my understanding, that I could see there was something special. And I think it was because of the martial arts background that I had. I mean, I had 29, 30 years of doing martial arts, so I really had a, an understanding of what connections and feel and all that kind of thing was. But I'd never seen it with an animal like that, and especially with a horse. So that continued on, and uh, there was a break for an hour, and I just kind of went and talked to a few people that I knew and just said, I'm just astounded by this guy. It's just great to watch. And then they were, they were, they'd seen him before and they said, oh, wait till you see this afternoon. You know, when he, he does the horsemanship class, he said, it's not for the faint hearted. <laughs> so, and he said, it wasn't that, you know, I got the wrong, what do you mean? It's not for the faint hearted. It's going to be rough or what? Yeah. On the people. Yeah. <laughs> not on the horse though. No. So, uh, well, I watched the afternoon session and that, uh, that was it. I was back the next day and the day after and, uh, the thing was, he he was very approachable with uh, Ray, and uh, he didn't like like a lot of people in that kind of um, elevation in whatever discipline they're in, whether they're in horsemanship, whether they're in acting, whether they're in musicians. It, you, when you're good, you're good, and you tend to not suffer fools gladly. As in, you know, don't ask me stupid questions, you know. And when I say that, I, I should say there's no such thing as a stupid question if it's genuine. You know, if it's coming from, you know, look, I'm really innocent. I don't know what I'm, you know, how to do this, how to do that. But when it when it's people who, you know, you're told something or you're shown something, but you don't use it, or you just, it just, you know, well, what else, though? I need more. I need that. I don't want to work at it. That's the where people like that. They just don't want to know, you know, and it, it, I've seen it so often. I've seen it, you know, with Ray Hunt. I've seen it with Sean Connery in acting. Uh, it, it, they're really good. They're really good at what they do and they would like to help, but you need to put your bit in, you know? So if you're prepared to work, they're prepared to help. And that's what I saw with Ray. And, uh, we got to be, uh, talking friends, if you like. And then while I was there, they, they came back again another time and they said, well, we're going to do, um, we want to shoot a cult starting video, but we don't want it to be, you know, just any old thing. We want a really good job doing because going back then, back in the early, whatever it would be, late eighties, nineties, nineties, it would be, yeah. um, it wasn't easy technical wise, you know, you didn't have fantastic phones on your camera or whatever you you to get the proper equipment so um they knew i was involved in the movie business and so on and they said well can you um do you want to help out you know we've got a guy who's doing this that, and the other uh he can provide the equipment and uh, but you know we'd like to know we'd like have an idea of what to do how to do it and so on so i said i'd, I'd be really happy to help yeah sure so um that's that got me in on this thing where it was it was more of a private thing where he'd invited certain uh, trainers that he'd worked with prior to this to bring a young horse 
and he would start them with that person. And uh, it was just like a regular cult starting thing, but you didn't have all the you know the people around or anything like that. So we filmed it over a period of days. And uh, one of the things Ray said to me, you, you know, I think it was about the second day, well, how do you think it's going? I said, it's just going great. It's marvelous. I said, my worry is when it's edited that it gets edited down. And I said, that's cheating it because uh, you'll miss the subtleties. You know, you know yourself, Steve, you can go and you can watch like uh, somebody training a horse, but they don't show you the whole picture. They just show a little bit of the rough edge of things and then ba bam, there it is. Look at that now. But there's a lot of work gone into that. And that's what people needed to see. They need to see all those little subtleties that have, you know, the way Ray moved with this and pushed the horse this way or drew the horse that way or backed off there or whatever. And, you know, if you just, if you just, it went, and, oh, well, we're going to cut that bit out because it's like boring or, you know. So I said to him, that's my fear, you know. So <laughs> Ray's answer to that was, well, you edit it then. <laughs> so, okay, right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we talked to the producers about it and, um, you know, they were very good about uh, being open to doing that. And uh, that's how it all worked out. But throughout this, then... Uh, Ray would always mention Tom. He would mention Tom in the public thing, you know, when he was doing the public uh, clinic. And he would always refer to him as being the, the man that he learned everything from. Uh, he said, I learned the things I shouldn't do and things I needed to know. And some of these things I don't know yet, but I will. I'm, I'm, I'm going to work at it. And I'd be thinking, well, dang, if you say you don't know... Uh, what is this guy like, you know, because you look pretty damn amazing to me, you know. And uh, so um, this went on and like so we finished the whole thing and we did the editing. Um, well, there's another funny wee story on that where there's another typical Ray thing where we'd applied to uh, Michael Martin Murphy to do the, the theme for it, like to do the song cover for it. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was all going well and thought, oh, well, this is good because there's a named artist, you know, in, in America, country artist and uh, a decent following. And then apparently his manager called up like at the last minute and said, uh, oh, yeah, but we need to have this, this and this and this percentage of sales and blah, blah. Well, that fired Ray up and he says, you know, I don't know, we're, we're doing this with a horse at the moment, so, you know, the hell with it. Okay, John, you sing and you play guitar, write a song. <laughs> so uh, it was it was really funny because I've never written a song so quick and uh, I came home I told my wife and I said I'm just going in the studio I'm just going to see what I can come up with and it just it just flowed I, I just heard Ray's voice and the things he would say so often um, and I, I, I wrote the song uh, almost in poetic form as to how the thing, the, the whole thing was presented to me, you know, like the first verse. Um, it was a clear November morning when he rode in from the cold, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I, that's how I saw him that morning when he came in with all the horses. And uh, yeah, and, and there's lots of little sayings of Ray's in the song, you know. Um, 
I don't know where I'm going, but I'm no, I'm not lost. Things like that, you know. Yeah. Uh, it just so it was. It, it just was easy, and um, so that was what, what I did with that, and put that on the. Uh, we eventually made it into a, a video back then, and then it became a DVD thing later. As technology moved on, now you can probably stream it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'd like to find it if you can. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, and then after that, it was, uh, you know, In Search of Tom. Um, and um, the first experience, people get saying you should go and see him. And I thought, well, I don't, you know, I mean, I'm, I don't like imposing myself on people, especially if I don't know them. And why would he want to see me anyway? And there was a, there was a really nice fella. He's since passed on as Tom. Tom Johnson, he was called. And he was a very close friend of Tom's. And uh, he was down at Ray's and he, he said, you know, you should just go and see Tom. Because, you know, I, I know how much you think of Ray, you know, and, uh, but, and you've got a lot of interest. And Tom would like that. Um, so I, it went on and on. And then I thought, I so I said to Tom Johnson, I said, is he doing, when's he doing a clinic? He says, oh, I don't really do them, you know. He's not interested. Well, it turns out that he wanted to make, earn some money. <laughs> he wanted to earn some money to, at this late stage in his life to to pay for a, a little house for him and Margaret, his wife. And um, so he said, well, I'll, I'll go and do some clinics and try to raise some money. So that's when he started doing them again, you know, in the 90s. And uh, um, he... He did one down at Bill Devane's, the actor, in uh, a place called Indio, which is south of LA, about four hours. And um, I, you know, it said like he's going to go down there. It's a four-day clinic. So uh, I said, "Great, I'll, um, I'll, I'll go." You know, book me in. So I signed up for it, and I didn't. Again, I hadn't met Tom by then or anything like this, and. Uh, I was driving down from LA on the, uh, what day was it? Yeah, it was early morning. Yeah, because I got up real early to go down there. And uh, yeah, got down there on the Monday. I was absolutely astounded by him as well. Because here's this little bow-legged cowboy. Tom was only small, you know, but... Um, it's just an energy around him. And he just, he was sat in the bleachers overlooking this big arena. And uh, Bill Devane was into polo horses. So there were all kinds of different horses there. And, uh, there, you know, there were English riders in dressage saddles. There were jumpers there. There were three-day eventers. And there were, you know, working cowboys. And there were just polo players. And there were just different people. There were 20-odd people in this arena. I'd never seen it. I mean, I know probably commonplace now to have a lot of people in an arena maybe, but back then it was like, good Lord. I'm thinking, how's he going to handle this lot? He's a mob. You know, they're all over the place. You know, people are riding away and there's a little clique of dressage riders over here and then there's some cowboys over there and they're just buzzing around. And then there's always somebody flying around trying to warm the horse up or, con or control the horse because it's going batshit. You know? <laughs> so... So I'm just watching, and, and Tom's talking quietly to somebody. And uh, so I just sidled over, and I waited. And um, and then uh, I, I walked over. Tom and Margaret were, 
it just it, Margaret brought him a glass of water or something. So I thought, oh, well, I'll just go over before he starts to introduce myself. So I went over and introduced myself. And he says, oh, yeah, Tom spoke about you, Tom Johnson. I said, yeah, well, I don't know, you're not disappointed. <laughs> said, okay, there are no worries, you know. So um, and then he started. And his opening line was, okay, right, everybody ready. Now, what would anybody like to do? <laughs> you know, that's a great, oh, I've never been to, a, you know, I can't imagine going into the martial arts class and, okay, all right, what does anybody want to do? <laughs> you know, like, but, you know, uh, anybody got something they'd like to work on? Well, that's, you know, that drew people then, you know, because most of the time you go to a clinic and it's like, it's regimented. Okay, everybody go this way, everybody go that way, whatever. I mean, we've loosened up a lot, I know, you know, in, in our, the stuff we do now. But back then it was pretty regimented and Ray's was pretty regimented like that, you know. So uh, you get people coming over and ask about this and ask about that. And it was so wonderful to, you would never say, oh, well, you just do this and you'll get that. It was always, well, try this and let's see if it works. And it, and it wasn't because he didn't think it would work. He just wasn't sure whether the person would be able to apply it in the right way. That's the way I looked at that now. Because mm -hmm. when he, then he, he might stop and he'd say, well, try a little bit of this. And, and then he'd watch and watch it. Right, okay. Now, how about, and he'll maybe go at it a different way because the first way wasn't, the person couldn't just get it right. So he'd help him another way to help the horse. And it was just, it was amazing. It was unique. It was lovely to watch because it was in the moment. And that's the beauty about um, being around him and watching it because, yeah, you can read about what he said in a book and, you know, what I've put down in various things but being there with him in the moment and watching it it's there it's organic it's happening and you can you can sense it and then you can feel it and then you can see it and then you think oh my goodness that's why you know it is marvelous having the facility of you know the computer age where you can you know i need a question answered there you go and you get you get some answer coming back but it might not be that appropriate whereas if you're there you, you know yourself, I'm sure, Steve, you know, if somebody asks you a question, how do I get to do, how do I get my horse to do this? Because it's just not understanding or whatever. If you're with them, it's so much easier. It's a piece of cake, you know, because you can, you can yeah. see the horse, you can see the person and then, okay, I know where the adjustments need to be made. But if it's just written down or it's on a phone call, phone calls are a little bit easier because you can kind of get more subtleties going, but, uh, but written things down, it's, uh, it's, it's a little bit, um, black and white, you know. Yeah. So I'm talking too much now. You say something for no, God's no, sake. No. <laughs> That's the idea to get you talking. So uh, <laughs> I was thinking, is there anything in particular that you saw with, with uh, Tom that really opened some doors for you? Uh, well, there's so much. I mean, just say, uh, you know, his famous phrase, well, there's more than one way to skin a cat. You know, that was one, you know, because he didn't want you to just say, and, and it's like when I, all the time I was up there and visiting and one thing or another, 
there were occasions where people would bring horses in for him to help them with and you know as usual or on clinics and a lot of times you'd have a similar difficulty or problem if you like um stopping uh oh or, or trailer loading you know that was always a great one you know you know these are people who, they can't get the horse in the trailer they don't tell you until the fourth day when they're about to leave could you could you have them with the trailer because i couldn't get them in the trailer <laughs> but in saying that um so many times you'd you'd think oh i know what he's going to do he's going to try that you know get it in with this to do this and that and he wouldn't he'd do something else and that made me really think yeah you don't just because it worked with that horse before doesn't mean to say it's the most appropriate thing for this horse this horse needs something a little bit different so there are things that are you know the the foundational levels of training are so important and if we get that clarity into the horse a lot of these issues if you like are difficulties or problems they're not going to arise and if they do they're very easily cleared up but it's it's because of the foundational principles are missing and you know when um you know the old saying of all oh, this it's nice horse it's got some holes in it you know yeah well who put the holes there you know the people the person the owner the trainer yeah there was a there was a video i'm not sure which one it was now and tom's like up in the stands and the horse he was helping with was facing the opposite direction you know so the camera had a good shot of it yeah and tom's looking and the guy's doing something and all of a sudden, he says, "Stop! There's a really good try." You know, I think you can't even see the horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got the you've got the backside of the horse facing yeah. you, and you can tell yeah. it's been a massive change. Yeah. So that was that was amazing. That wow! Like, yeah, I was really in touch. He was really his senses. Um, even when his other, you know, some senses had failed. I want to say that. I mean, like, he's. Um, um, his eyesight and you know obviously his eyesight is here and everything as he's got older and older it sort of deteriorated but he would somehow we'd complement it by coming in with something else I remember I think I put this in my book as well where I was riding a horse and uh, I had this difficulty keeping the horse going and uh I know at the time, he, Tom had what he called his earwigs. There were these special things that helped him hear. They were just like a hearing aid thing, but they were high-tech things. And uh, when he had them in, they were, it was really clear. So we're in this big arena, where, um, which was at his brother's place, uh, Bill's place in Salinas. And I was riding in there. And he'd, he'd just be sitting on the golf cart, you know, with his arms folded and his feet up on the golf cart. And it's, you know, be, okay, now go on and do this. Let's let's talk about it. Come on. So I'd come back and we'd talk. And it didn't, he never, like, would shout at you when you were out there doing something. He wanted you to come back. Then he'd talk to you and he'd tell you, well, what about trying this? And think about this before you do that. All right, now, you got that? Okay, go on. Now, and whereas, you know, like if you're sometimes, you know, if you're teaching somebody, you might, um, you might be, 
what's it, micromanaging them, for want of a better word, yeah. to try and get them through something, to try and help. And sometimes it, it might be useful. And, you know, that, that, you know, just if you can get the person to catch it. But in other times, doing that actually takes away their try. So just as a horse needs to try and be in the right frame of mind, so does the person, so does the rider. And if you're in that right frame of mind, you're focused. And that's something I learned from him with that, you know. So, what, you know, just coming back and, as he would say, visit for a couple of minutes, and he'd explain what he saw and what he thought might remedy things, off you go. So I'd drive, I'd ride off and I'd come back. And this particular horse was, he was one of the horses that you'd, you'd get into a rhythm on a big circle, you'd be coming round and just because of whatever magnetizing the horse, whether it was a bunch of horses over there or whatever, he wanted to drift that way. Even if you were, you know, you had a good firm hold on the rein or whatever, at least you thought you did, he'd still want to get that way. And then he might just, uh, and then it makes a mess of it. And then your, your beautiful circle is gone or whatever you wanted to do. So that was what I was com combating with this horse. And uh, amongst other things, he had a tendency to buck and rear and bite. And that was... All at the same time, you know, usually when you're in the air coming down. <laughs> but but again, you know, these are things that I didn't know enough about that Tom helped me clear up. But but anyway, this we're going round. I was going round and uh, he uh, he says, OK, come on back. So I came back. He says, you know, you were doing well there, but just about there. She changed. The mayor changed and, and you didn't hear it. You didn't feel it. You're not hear it. And I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, did you not feel it slowed down? I'm thinking, well, you, you can't see that far. I know you can't see that far, Tom, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, I thought, well, maybe he's, I don't know. I, I'm not going to argue with him because he's hes always right, damn it. <laughs> so I, th I said, okay, I'll pay more attention to it. So went round, and as we're coming around this particular area, I thought, Where's the change? I don't know. And then by the time I'm thinking it, she's already changed. She's changed her way of going. So he calls him back in. You didn't feel it, did you? I said, no, I didn't feel it. I said, anyway, you know, we were kind of uh, friendly enough not to be, you know, it wasn't stiff or anything. He, he, was always, he always liked to joke. I said, anyway, how can you see it? You, you can't see that far anyway. <laughs> he says, I can hear you. And I thought, damn, it's the rhythm. Because we were, we were coming around at a trot, so it's like, bum, 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 So it had, it had broken gate, broken the rhythm. And I didn't, I didn't feel it. I didn't even hear it. You know? So that twigged me, and then I went around again. But I, as I was doing it, I'm, as I'm riding, I'm just feeling or hearing and feeling every step of that trot. Bum, 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 bum. And I'm going around and I just felt it change. And at that moment, I just asked for a little bit more. Damn it, if we didn't just go nicely around on that circle. That's all it took. Just that little thing. No big, you know, I didn't have to buy a new bit. Didn't have to put bigger spurs on. I just had to be right in time with the horse at the right moment. So that, those are the things that that uh, Tom helped me understand. And what I'm always trying to teach when I go out is that side of it because there's enough people out there, you know, oh yeah, I'll sell you a bit, I'll sell you a saddle, I'll sell you this and whatever. Um, 
And that's merchandising. That's the whatever deal we're living in. Yeah. But but the, this other side that Tom had, that was the thing that really excited me. You know, it was just because you can do it with any horse. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter what breed. I mean, so many times I've had people over the years, I, you know, I'd be trying to champion Tom and push, you know, promote him, which he hated, but <laughs> I couldn't stop myself. Yeah. And um, he he would say, um, you know, it, it, it'll work. You know, it doesn't matter if it's a big old draft horse or, you know, or hot thoroughbred off the track or whatever. This will work because you're working with this. And... Um, and there's so many times I'd, I'd invite people to, you know, I'd organize clinics or something and I'd invite people and uh, uh, I'd, I'd Ray come into one, uh, an old ranch we had in Tatchby and uh, it was one of the last clinics that I had with Ray and uh, before he died and I I put the word out, got a decent amount of people coming and that, but there's one area, this lady who, she was running a thoroughbred rehabilitation program and it was well funded by some uh, philanthropic race guy you know and uh, so her place and everything was really you know they weren't short of money so I thought great let's get her involved and then she'll see the benefit because she has trainers working underneath her and one thing and, and the only reason I've been over was uh, the connection with her was that she'd asked me to go over and help her with some problem horses that she had that their trainers couldn't fix. So when I, I thought, well, this would be this would be ideal for her to come and see Ray and get a better understanding of what can be, uh, not just from me, from the straight from the source more. You know, mm-hmm. her answer was, "Oh, that stuff works good with quarter horses, but not for thoroughbreds." And I'm thinking, this lady's been in the horse business for forty years, whatever, and that's what she thinks. You know, that's, yeah, he has no answer to that, you know. Just just Western stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and you, having ridden with you, you you took a bit about, you lent the science as well, didn't you? You got right into the, the science of equine learning. Equine learning. Yeah, well, that was because I felt um, a deficiency. Um, all the time I was with Tommy would say, you know, not just me, you know, but he'd say to me, he'd say, if I could just crawl inside your hide for five minutes, John, I'd give this to you, but I can't. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to work at it yourself. And, uh, you know, if he could just give it to you, he would do, he would have done because he wanted you to succeed. He wanted you, but it has to come from you. And that's what, that's what Ray said, you know, I'll help you. But it has to come from you. And um, so when Ray died and Tom died, uh, I felt a bit lost, you know, because there were such huge influences on me. And um, I just thought, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with this now. You know, I really love working with the horses, you know, and I'd, I'd actually kind of walked away from Hollywood back in 98, really. Um and bought the ranch out away, you know, four or three or four hours away from Hollywood. So it made it harder for me to go there. <laughs> that was fine by me. <laughs> uh, so, but then it was, um, 
I wanted to continue, obviously, and, and learn more. So I thought, well, you know, I really like the discipline of Doma Vaquera, the Spanish riding. Um, and that's like what they, the kind of things they do for the bullfights. Not interested in the bullfight at all. Um, I, I don't think it's, uh, I mean, it's a culture and so on and so forth. But I think it's ultimately ridiculously cruel and unnecessary. But I do admire the horsemanship and I admire the horses. So I thought, well, they do test the, you know, all the maneuvers. I wasn't that, you know, I could do dressage tests if I wanted, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't enough. Uh, I wanted to do more uh, practical, if you will. And of course, you know, I could turn around now and say, well, there's a lot of practicality in dressage. But back then I, I thought, well, I want to do it. Um, and I just, I'd seen it in Spain. I'd seen Doma Vaquera riders in, in reality and just amazing. So I thought, you know what, I wanted to see if I can do that, but but teach a horse to do it in Tom's way, not in any traditional way. I'll learn what the moves are, you know, because they're all kind of slightly unique. Uh, you know, you, you, you have turnarounds, but you don't have spins because it's a bit pointless. You know, your horse gets dizzy and the bull comes and hits you anyway. So it's <laughs> it's ridiculous, you know. So you, you've got like fast turnarounds, you've got jump arounds, you've got all the counter counters, you've got a half pass and all this stuff. And it's all really practical and useful. So I thought, right, if I can do this and teach it to the horse in the way that Tom explained then maybe that's something I can work towards and that'll give me a goal. So for the next three years, that's what I did and just locked into that. And uh, the ultimate thing was I, I did win national championships. There's, there's only three levels. There's basic, intermediate and alter, the highest one. And I, I did win the alter. The funny story about that was, well, I'm down in, they were down in Texas because the national championship's in Texas. So I'm down in Texas and I've got this horse. It wasn't my horse. It was a client's horse that I was training. They were wonderful people because they, they'd let me just keep this horse in full-time training, you know. So uh, they, we went down to Texas and um, I'm in the warm-up arena and everybody's flying around, you know, the besides uh, they were Donald Carroll riders and doing this, doing that. And I'd already warmed up a little bit, but it was a very, you know, just a general warm up. And then I was just sat there on my horse and my, <laughs> my horse is like head hanging, just nothing going on, you know, so it's like this. This judge walks up to me in the warm up arena. What are you doing? I said, uh, what do you mean, what am I doing? Why are you in here? I said, well, I'm ready to go in. I've just done a warm up. You've done your warm up? Yeah. Well, why is you can't just stand here like this? Why not? It doesn't look good. <laughs> what do you mean? It doesn't look good. It said you, your horse needs to be, you know. Uh, I said, well, we'll see what happens, eh? <laughs> so, anyway, long story short, I went in and won. And whether it looked good in the warm up arena, it didn't matter because it looked good in the performance and the horse was happy. That's all he needed. He didn't need to be all lathered up and fired up. So. Yeah, it's that connection with your horse. That's what it is. Yeah, well, that's good because I, I too went over to Spain. Over to Spain, you know, and had a ride on a horse over there. And went, wow, I love all the maneuvers, but man, it feels heavy. Some of them are. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they are. They're really, yeah. And I find that a lot with horses. I mean, you know, people that have, 
they've said they've got the horse trained up to such and such a degree, but if the mouth is so heavy, uh, phew, that's a that's not what I like to feel. I want to feel just I want to feel everything in the horse, and it's uh, it needs to be light. I think there's a there's a belief there, isn't there, about collection that you need a certain amount of weight, otherwise the horse isn't collected. Collected. Yeah. Well. It's, again, it's like what one man's collection is what, you know, it's, it's all an opinion. And it's, people talk about collection so much. And I, I, I try and avoid it. And I'll say, you know, let's just talk about engagement of the hindquarters for the moment. Because collection's the whole body. And you look like you've got a problem figuring out that it's back here when you think it's up here. You know, a lot of people do, don't they? You know, it's like they'll say, oh, look how well collected that horse is. And it's heads like this. And he's driving his forehand into the ground. <laughs> Say, okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah. There's probably yeah. an analogy there. I don't know what. But <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm trying to do the same thing that you did. You know, trying to uh, to start with, it made me question myself and go, "Am I being unreasonable to expect to do those maneuvers and have nothing in my hands? Just, just that contact." Yeah. And it's just starting to begin to work now. So I'm like, oh, well, I'm glad I stuck at it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a joy, you know, when it's there. And that's how it should be. It shouldn't be. It should just feel, you know, you should feel something, but not weight, not heaviness, you know. And, uh, yeah. yeah, and uh, that, I mean, I learned that, like, particularly from both Tom and Ray about, lightness in a snaffle bit it's it's there it's really there and um people talk about the snaffle bit as being oh it's just a basic thing it's this and that and the other but i remembered and i have got it on video when in a little interview i did with tom when we talked about bits and he went through all the stuff that he had which is not a lot he had a snaffle bit a spade bit and a pack of more and uh, at the end of it he said you know I said it was really interesting in the spade bit because I've never seen anything like it. You know, I'm used to a double bridle, um, you know, with the um, the idea of the shanks and the the levers on the shanks, obviously, for the vertical flexion, and then the bridoon is for the lateral and so on, and, and the balance between the two. But the spade was, I don't know. And he said, well, it's, yeah, it's probably better if most people don't know that now because... It, and he sort of trailed off, you know, like he never wanted to criticize people, but you know that he didn't like what he saw. And um, and maybe he was protecting the horse from me, thinking, don't give him a spade, but, <laughs> but he, he said, no, he said, you can get anything like this done with a snaffle bit if you're right with your feel. And yeah, I believe it. You know, I'm, I've always been happy. And uh, yeah, I admire people who you know, can, I've, and I ride in a Hackamore as well. But um, you know, for the for the for most people to have a snaffle bit and have it working for them as it can, it just make it makes life easier for them and easier for the horse when they're you know people chop and change. You know, it becomes fashionable to ride in. Uh, Years ago, it was fashionable to ride in a Tom Thumb, you know, which was the, like the snaffle with a with a short curves. And basically, all it was give it an extra bit of leverage, so you think you're doing well because you can stop your horse now where you couldn't before. 
And then some people wanted to write, oh, I just do, I do neck reining, you know. Well, how did you learn to do neck reining? Well, the horse just does it. You know, it's like a jocks, uh, joystick on a thing, you know, the horse is yeah. like that. So you, you're trying to overcome all these ideas of, you know, the misinformation, if you like. And uh, and then, you you know, you, you, you start with the, with the snaffle, but you can teach it so clearly, both for the human and the horse. And some of the other things are counterintuitive, you know, like say, yeah. say, take a hackamore, you know, like, okay, so you take the right rein on a hackamore and it, it pulls underneath the chin here and it, it pulls on the bar on this side. Well, if you do it, you know, with some idea and some feel, you'll get there. But if you're, if you don't have somebody helping you, you end up with a, a twisted horse who rides like this and really doesn't follow anything anyway. So, yeah. It's been really good talking to you. Uh, have you... I just waffled there, you know. You get two horse people together, isn't that what we do? <laughs> so have you got any sort of finishing thoughts for people, you know, that are trying to get into this way of horsemanship? Uh, read Tom's book and don't give up on it. You know, read it, read it through Unity and... Um, You'll probably think, well, I don't really understand some of this, or there's not the clarity I'm seeking or need. But it's, as Tom said, it's all there. It might take you 30 years to find it, but and, and I'm still searching. You know, every time I pick it up, I read it and I think, wow, that makes a little bit more sense to me now than it did six months ago. You know, and. Yeah. Uh, it's just a tattered old copy with bunches of different highlights, pink highlight, yellow highlight, blue highlight, depending on which uh, year I was looking at it. And uh, it's, it's really interesting. And uh, yeah, just think about the horse. I suppose, that, that, you know, going back just as one last thing, the equitation science did help me a lot after I quit, when I quit uh, the showing competition. Because I took it so far and I thought, I'm done, that's fine. I did what I wanted to do, but I still wanted to learn. So the equitation science gave me that extra interest, which started me focusing again. Because now science is there where it wasn't there 10 years ago, maybe. I don't know. Um, and it's sort of, it was embryonic for a long time, but now it's got much better and there's more access to information. And it's so useful because now we know what a, for sure what a how a horse feels and thinks and learns and those are the keys you know if you overdo something to teach your horse you know like that was another thing a lot of the things that tom did were maybe they were you could say they were intuitive but it was in, intuitive because of his lifetime his experience so when he would say try this okay right do it again okay now one more okay good now let's leave that alone and like, we'll come back to you in a bit. And you think, well, I, I'm just getting somewhere. But he knew not the person needed a break and the horse needs a break. Now we've got more accurate about how much time a horse needs a break in between learning, you know, and again, I'll put that in the book to help people understand. Yeah. So it's, it's there to try and, you know, if you really want it, it's there, but you have to, you have to sort of work at it and seek it. Yeah. And, you, you sort of mentioned the book a few times. You want to let everybody know where they can get a copy of your book? Yeah, it's available. No, no good bookstores anyway. 
<laughs> oh, it's on my website. Um, yeah. Um, so I should have a copy. Somewhere. There you go. That's it. Move backwards. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, www.johnsaintryan.com. You can find it there. And, uh, it, the, the, yeah, so it, it's it's worthwhile. And, and Tom's book, oh, I've got somewhere. I'll put a reference to Tom and Ray's book and your book on the on the, the end of the podcast so people can find it. It'd be nice. And really, you know, like um, there's a couple of things like I, I've got – Tom's book on my site. I've got Ray's audio book, you know, because uh, uh, Millie wrote or Millie edited True Unity for uh, Tom. And she also produced this uh, book for Ray called Harmony with Horses, Think Harmony with Horses, which I did an audio narration of. And they're really useful because you know yourself, like, if it's something very heavy to absorb, you can read it and you might read too much by that. I mean, you might read a paragraph and think, Oh, I need to remember that. And you're still reading. And then you read the next page. Whereas if you're listening to it on audio, sometimes like you're driving in your truck, that's one of the reasons I did it. You know, I just wanted to um, hear the book and as an audio book and then just stop it and say, wait a minute, let me think about what, what was just said there. Let me really consider it. And then if you've got a mate with you, you can say, you know what, what do you think about that? You know, you, you can talk about it and that that helps it uh, be absorbed into your body as well. You know? Yeah, and they're short books, so, you know, you can, I always read them in a weekend if I'm away. So the Yeah. yeah. And every time, every time you read them, you seem to see something you missed last time. It's like, I don't, I don't believe I've read this so many times and missed that. No worries. Well, thank you, John. We'll let you get back to your day. And uh, so hopefully we'll catch you in Australia sometime soon. I'm soon. You bet. Good to see you. Good to see you, John. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Talking Horses podcast. You can find more information about Steve at stevehalfpenny.com. 